Today we're starting a brand new series entitled, It's Complicated, where we explore the fact that relationships are often complicated. One of the reasons why I think relationships are often challenging and difficult and complicated is because you have two different people who come together and they have different perspectives, different attitudes, different beliefs, and when those come together, it creates friction, it creates conflict, it creates difficulty. But I just believe that relationships don't have to be complicated. So in this series, we're going to be going to God's Word, and we're going to be discovering some principles about how to uncomplicate the relationships that we are in. Now, there's one specific area that I want to focus on today, and it's the area of communication. Communication often can be complicated. And to illustrate this, I want you to take a look. Das hier ist mein Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächter. Das Gerät und das Gerät. Überlebensradar. Mayday, Mayday. Hello, can you hear us? Can you hear us? Can you... Over. We are sinking. We are sinking. Hello? This is the German Coast Guard. What are you thinking about? Have you ever been in that place where you're talking to someone and you feel like it's lost in translation? You say one thing, they get upset, they start yelling at you and you're like, hey, how did we get here? What happened? The truth is, is that communication can often be complicated. In fact, movies humorously capture this concept of the complications in communication with some funny quotes. I'm going to share these with you. There's that one movie quote that says, what you talking about, Willis? Or there's that other movie quote that says, don't you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Even commercials like this one. There's other commercial. You remember that commercial, that phone commercial? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Often there's a disconnect between what we say and what we mean, what we say and what someone else interprets. George Bernard Shaw said this, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Sometimes there's this illusion that we have that we've actually gotten through to the other person. I think part of the reason why uh, communication can be challenging at times is we have the wrong perspective of what success in communication actually is. We believe that getting it out is the same as getting it through. We think that if we can just unload our thoughts, our feelings to someone else, that they're actually receiving what we're saying. Let me be clear. Getting something off of your chest is not the same as getting through to their heart. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 highlights this when it says, I'm reading from the message, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. We can have perfect words and big passion, but if we don't infuse our words with love, we're only getting it out. We're not getting it through to them. The modern day equivalent to a creaky Rusty gate is the scratching on a chalkboard, fingernails on a chalkboard. 
don't know about you, but that makes the, the back of my hair stand up and it sends shivers down my spine. None of us like that sound. But I want to suggest to you that sometimes when we talk to the people around us, especially the people that we love, we're sometimes communicating in a way that feels like fingernails on a chalkboard. The purpose of communication isn't about getting it out, it's getting through. Because communication is intended to facilitate connection. Here's my question. When you speak to the people around you, after the conversation, does that person feel more connected to you? If not, I want to invite you to lean into this moment. Lean into this message because I think God's word has something to tell you. Because communication is not about me, it's about we. To help us further unpack this idea, I want to suggest to you that communication is a lot like the game of catch in baseball. If you ever played the game of catch, you know that it takes two people to play catch. Two people with one common goal, which is to make sure that when they throw the the ball, the other person receives it. It takes focus. It takes intentionality. It takes being fully dialed into the process. But often, but often, sometimes things can happen in the process of playing catch. The ball can be dropped, and what happens is there's misunderstanding. What we have to do in those moments, we have to pick the ball up, and we've got to keep passing it back and forth. For you see, there's some unseen rules in the game of catch. You can't throw it too fast. You can't throw it too slow. You can't throw it short. You can't overthrow it. You can't throw it over someone's head. And you can't throw it off to the side. But sometimes in the process of communication, we break those rules. For you see, in the game of catch, when someone breaks the rules, the game is quickly over. I think some of us, we're more committed to the game of catch than we are to the game of communication. Can you help me thank these guys? They did a great job. Thank you so much. So today I want to speak on the topic, close the communication gap. Close the communication gap. Sometimes when there's miscommunication in conversation, it creates a gap in the relationship. And some of us, if we're really honest, where we're at in relationship is it's not a gap, it's a gulf. It is, it's seemingly impossible to come back together. I want to suggest to you that if you make your priority for communication, reconnection, about making sure that you're more connected after you've communicated something, you're right on your way to moving forward and uncomplicating your relationships. So I want to invite you to join me in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. We're going to look to God's word to discover how we can close the communication gap. Open up your Bible, your Bible app, your Westover app. Let's look at the word of God together, starting with verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. The writer James is helping us realize that even though we may be in different relationships, whether it's friendships, work relationships, or even in a romantic marriage relationship, that at the end of the day, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. He says this, you must all be quick. Say quick. Y'all must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Verse 26. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. I don't know about you, but I don't want my religion to be worthless. 
I don't want my witness to be devalued. I don't want people to see me live just like the world. I want to be distinct from the world. I want people to see Jesus shining through me. I want to make sure that how I communicate to people closes the gap, that they would not only get more close to me, but more importantly, that they would get closer to Jesus Christ. That's the mission, church The mission is for us to communicate the grace of God. And what we've got to do is we've got to do everything we can to close the communication gap. So how do we do that? How do we close the communication gap? To make sure sure that you catch what people are saying in closing the communication gap, number one, we need to look and listen. Look and listen. Verse 19 says this, be quick to listen. When someone is speaking to you, are you quick to listen? Or are you distracted? Are you looking at your phone? Are you looking at your watch wondering when they'll be done? Or are you even preparing your rebuttal to what they've just said? Here's the newsflash. When someone is speaking to you, they're actually hoping that you'll catch what they're saying to you. They're not giving you the opportunity to prepare your response or your rebuttal. They actually want you to receive what they're saying to you. But often, we think it's all about us. It's not about me, it's about the we in the relationship. So what do we need to do? We need to set aside the distractions. We need to make sure we're dialed in. Growing up, my mom would say this, And you know, you're an adult when you repeat what your parents used to say. Anybody there? My mom used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Because you need to listen twice as much as you speak. Truth is, is sometimes I wouldn't pay attention. And very quickly, very quickly my mom would toss a chunkla at me. And I'd have to duck and move out of the way. And she was like a major league pitcher because she could do the one-two one chancla coming in and then quickly inbound the second one. And I'd have to duck and move out of the way. But the truth is, sometimes I'd catch a chancla and I deserved it. We need to make sure that in the process of communication, that we don't devalue the person that we're, that's speaking to us. And then they start throwing chanclas at us, words of criticism, words of frustration. Hey, you never listen. You never pay attention. You're always consumed with what you're doing. We need to make sure we set ourselves up to receive what someone is saying to us. Just like in catch, looking is essential. In listening, looking is essential as well. Researchers recently discovered a phenomenon that many of you would quickly understand is true. Someone cannot be looking at a screen and listening at the same time. If you have kids or students who play video games or they watch YouTube, you know that you can say their name a couple times and they don't hear you. They've actually named that phenomenon. It's called inattentional deafness. Basically, what happens in the brain is they're processing this video in their mind. And the same part of the brain that's processing that video is the same part of the brain that they need to use to listen And so they don't hear what you say. Now, I know some of you are pushing back on that and you're saying, Pastor, Pastor, I'm a multitasker. I've got this down. I'm different than everyone else. Well, I want to invite you to check whether you can actually 
multitask. Turn to someone right next to you and just do this and see if they'll say yes or no if you can multitask. If they do this, you can multitask. If they do this, then guess what? You can multitask. Many of us, we think that we're exempt from it. But even if you can multitask, even if you can hear someone while you're looking at a screen, I want you to evaluate what looking at a screen or being distracted communicates to the other person. When we're distracted, what we're communicating to them is what you're saying doesn't really matter to me. You're communicating that what you're doing is more important than them. Why? Because whatever gets our full attention is what we value. In any given moment, whatever we give our full attention to is what we value. Some of us, we say, you matter to me, but in a moment we're looking at something else. There's a contradiction between what we're saying and how we're living. I've discovered that distractions divide our devotion to others. When we're distracted by whatever is right in front of us, it makes the person who's speaking to us feel that we're not really devoted to them. So what do we need to do? How do we need to change? Well, I want to offer you three tips to look and listen effectively. Number one, when someone is speaking to you, put aside all distractions. Put down your phone, close social media, turn off the video, the video games, YouTube, set aside the work project, And then number two, actually look at the person. It communicates value. It communicates respect. It communicates, hey, I'm actually dialed in. I actually care about what you're saying. And then number three, listen to understand. Make sure that you catch what they're saying. Be fully involved. Don't just hear it, but actively listen. Actively pay attention to what they're saying. Parents, can I encourage you? to listen to your kids and your students. Because if you stop listening to them, they will find someone who will listen to them. And it's likely that whoever is listening to them and looking at them is someone that you do not approve of. And then that person will have their devotion and their focus and you've lost the privilege to speak into their life. Kids, students, can I encourage you to listen to your parents? to look and listen and obey right away. I'm trying to help you out here. If you listen and you obey right away, your parents can trust you. They can give you more privileges. They can give you more responsibility. It's gonna help you out. It's gonna get your parents off your back. And spouses, can I encourage you to listen to your spouse? If not, there'll come a moment when they say, I have nothing more to say. As some of you know, I spent a decade as a marriage counselor, and often what I would find is they would come into my office, and I would begin to talk to them, and one would say, I have nothing more to say. I have nothing more to say. I've said everything I needed to say, and I have nothing more to say. I found that whenever people were right at that moment, they were one step away from separation and a couple steps away from divorce. We need to be able to lean in and look and listen to the people who are speaking to us. Why? Because we show love when we look and when we listen. Number two, to close the communication gap and to ensure that people receive what we are saying to them, we need to, number two, speak life. We need to speak life. 
Verse 19 says this, we need to be slow to speak. We don't need to react when someone speaks to us. We need to think carefully and then respond. Not react to the moment, but respond to them. Takes intentionality. How many of you have ever experienced someone who's constantly reacting? Maybe somebody who's constantly critical. Now, if they're sitting next to you, don't look at them, but because you might get a chancla coming at you right in church, and that'd be weird to see chanclas moving come back and forth. Sometimes there are people in our life who are constantly critical. Something good happens in their life and they criticize it. They get a promotion and they complain about the fact that they have more responsibility and they have to work longer hours. They get a new baby. They have a new baby in their family and then they're complaining about having to change diapers or wake up in the middle of the night to feed their baby. Or they retire and then they're complaining, I have nothing else to do now. Often it's easy for us to see the fact that people are critical but we fail to see that we're critical as well. Some of us, unfortunately, have a PhD in criticism, and that's not a compliment. I'll put it another way. Some of us have the spiritual gift of discouragement, and guess what? That's not an actual spiritual gift you want. For you see, criticism is a lot like bad breath. Once you've had it for long enough, you stop noticing it, but guess what? Everybody else experiences it, and they step away. We need to be mindful not to be critical, not to provide contempt, not to provide complaints or say, you did this wrong. Here's my question. The people in your life, what do they get most from you? Is it encouragement or is it discouragement? I found this. Discouragement never encouraged anyone. They're exact opposites. Discouragement and encouragement are the exact opposites. You cannot encourage someone by discouraging them. You can't uplift anyone by pushing them down. Proverbs 18 says this, there's power, the power of life and death in the tongue. We can either give life or take it away. You can't speak death and expect it to produce life. You can't speak criticism and expect someone to be motivated. So what do we need to do instead? Number one, say thank you. Say thank you. I've discovered that you can never wear out gratitude. You can never say thank you enough. There's never going to come a moment when your family member or your coworker says, hey, guess what? You've said thank you enough. I don't want you to say thank you anymore. They're going to say, hey, keep it coming, keep it coming, keep it coming. Number two, catch people doing great things. Often we're so focused on what they do wrong that we fail to catch them when they do right. I have found that what we celebrate gets replicated. What we celebrate gets replicated. If you want to see more good behavior from your children, celebrate the good behavior. If you want to see uh, someone provide a report on time in, in your business, celebrate it when they get it in. Hey, great job. Thank you so much. Number three, provide encouragement. When we choose to be conduits of encouragement, we're actually carrying the heart of God. Just like Pastor Jim said, we're conduits of kindness. What I've discovered is that when we encourage people, God encourages us. When we allow ourselves to be conduits of encouragement, God actually provides encouragement for us. I want to challenge you right after service to encourage someone around you. I promise you that as you encourage them, you're going to feel encouraged as well. 
Also, here's what happens when you encourage other people. They're more likely to encourage you. There's going to come a moment when you're discouraged and the person that you encouraged in one season is going to be the person that encourages you in your season of discouragement. And even, number four, even when you have to provide corrective action, make sure to provide encouragement as well. I call it the Oreo method. Where are my Oreo people at? If you love Oreos, raise your hand. I love me some Oreos. Put it in some milk. Delicious. I don't know. By the way, Oreos are vegan, so praise the Lord for that. The calories hopefully don't count. But here's the Oreo method. Provide encouragement, then provide constructive feedback, and then end with encouragement. This is what it sounds like in a work environment. Hey, Tom, you're a valued member of this team. We so appreciate you being here. You make such a difference. You're constantly focused on the customer. You make sure that they sense that they're encouraged and that they're valued. That's encouragement, constructive feedback. But I need your partnership on something. There's this tendency for you to not get the numbers in on time. And when we don't have the numbers, we can't make the right projections for the next month, and it's actually impacting our business. So I need you to bring alignment to that and get it in on time. But if you're having a hard time, this is encouragement, if you're having a hard time getting those numbers into me, let's talk about it. Let's see if there's some, if there's some breakdowns in the process so that you can get those numbers in on time. I'm here to help you. I'm here to encourage you. I want to see you succeed. That's what the Oreo method is. If we're going to provide constructive feedback, we can still do it in a way that encourages and motivates them to move forward. I had to sum all this speak life concept up into one statement. It's this. Gratitude and encouragement are free to give but they are priceless to receive. It's free for us to give gratitude and encouragement to people, but it's priceless for them to receive. And can I just encourage you parents to provide gratitude and encouragement to your kids and your students? Because every day they're stepping into classrooms and into schools where they're being criticized, they're being made fun of, they're being made challenged, people are saying mean things to them. And when they come home, they need to receive encouragement from us. Can we as parents make that commitment that we're going to encourage our kids that when they come home, that they can receive life-giving, encouraging words? Our kids and our students need that from us. They don't need to go to school and be criticized and then come home and get the same from us as well. We need to be, be conduits of God's grace and speak life into the lives of our children. Number three, to close the communication gap, and to make sure that people actually receive what you are saying, number three, we need to turn down the volume. Turn up the grace, turn up the gratitude and encouragement, but turn down the volume. Look at what it says here in the passage. You must all, say all, you must all be slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Here's a quick check. Is the way we communicate to people in the world, does it validate our faith or does it invalidate it? Does it make it so that our faith is actually of great worth or is it worthless? There should be a distinction between us and the world. The world should be able to say, The people of Jesus Christ, they live like Jesus, they love like Jesus. Yes, they hold fast to the word of God and they have have uncompromising convictions, but they love extravagantly. Many of us, we come in here and we worship God, but then 
we go out into the parking lot and we yell at our family. Or we say amen to a service. We say amen to something that's said in the service on Sunday, but then on Monday, we're cursing at someone. I'm going to call you out. Some of you don't curse someone out loud face to face, but you're in a car and you're... Hey, you may be alone, but God hears you. Let our words be sweet and be of encouraging. Because here's what happens. What you practice in private comes out in public. What we practice in private comes out in public. And there'll come a moment when, when life bumps up against you and you'll say something that hurts someone else. It'll just spill out. Practice in private what you want to come out in public. Same is true. Young adults and students, don't give people all the smoke on social media. Be willing to hold your tongue. Guess what? Everybody can see you. They know what you're saying. If you can't say it to someone's face, don't say it online. Part of the reason why I think it's really easy for us to have the volume up with our anger in this time and in this culture is we live in a culture that celebrates strong opinions. We live in a culture of strong opinions and weak convictions. Some of us hold more fast to our opinions than we do to the Word of God. When I look at the Word of God, He doesn't ask me for my opinion. He asks me to align to his conviction and to his word. God doesn't call us to have strong opinions, but to have deep conviction. And how does that live out? He says, I need you to be fully devoted to my word. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then have have passion for people. We need to be passionate about the word of God and have compassion for people. And I think we can do both. I think we can be passionate about God's word and compassionate to people. That doesn't mean we push away the truth of God's word. We hold fast to the truth of God's word. But we share that truth in love, not through anger, not to push people away. It is not our harsh words that brings conviction and leads to repentance. It's when we share the truth in love and then we let the Holy Spirit close the gap. He calls us to have deep conviction and deep devotion to him. Why? Because human anger dilutes our testimony. When we let our anger go, it dilutes our testimony. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. If you're struggling with anger today, I want to encourage you today to talk less and to pray more. Talk less and pray more. Why? Even fish avoid problems by keeping their mouth shut. Every fish that ends up in a boat because they open their mouth and they bit the bait. There's a spiritual truth in that. Proverbs 21 says this, if we keep our mouth and our tongue, we keep ourselves from trouble. Sometimes silence is golden. In fact, I'll tell you something that I learned when I was a kid. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. If we can't speak life then it's better for us to not say anything. The Bible says this, not me, even a fool is considered wise when he keeps his mouth shut. Some of us, we need to pray more and talk less. This week I came across a verse that really impacted my heart 
and it made me check myself. It's Psalm 141, verse 3. It says this, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Many of us in the season, we've been more intent about putting a mask over our mouth to protect us from COVID, but we haven't put a guard over our mouth to protect others from our anger. I was convicted by that. Lord, am I allowing you to guard my lips and my mouth? That's the question I asked myself this week. And he's asking all of us that same question. Now, for those of you who may just be new to faith, the word Lord refers to someone back in those times who had authority and dominion. They had the ability to veto the choices of someone else. A modern day word for that is boss. Jesus Christ wants to be the boss of our life. And some of you, as you're listening, you say, you know what, pastor? I want God to guard my lips. But he can't guard your lips unless you give him your life. If he's not the Lord of your life, he's not the Lord of your lips. So today as I close, I want to invite you to stand. No one moving. Lean into this moment. Set aside every distraction. Those of you who are joining us from our church family online, don't check out in this moment. Lean into this moment. Some of you who are here today, you want your relationships to be uncomplicated. But as I was speaking, you realized, I'm not there yet. I know about God, but I don't know him. Well, today is that moment. All of us, we can commit our life to Jesus. Fortunately, the gospel of Jesus Christ is very simple. It's very clear. It's as clear as ABC. A, we need to admit that we need Jesus, that we can't do life on our own. B, we believe in our heart that he died on the cross to save us and to give us a new life. And C, we confess from our heart and from our mouth that we need him. And if you're here today, this is your moment. So I'm gonna invite everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I want you to give the opportunity for the Lord to speak to you. If you're here today, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, or you know that you need to make him Lord of your life, this is your moment. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I see you. Yes, I see you up in the balcony. Yes, I see you up in the balcony, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. Now you may put your hand down. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I have a second appeal. Some of you, you've made Jesus Lord of your life, but he's not Lord of your lips. You communicate in ways that don't honor him or create more of a gap or gulf in your relationships. If you're here and you'd like for Jesus to put a guard over your mouth, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Yes, hands all over. All right, I'm gonna lead everyone in a prayer and we're gonna pray for both today. So everyone say it with me. Say, Jesus, I admit that I need you. My life and my communication is complicated. And today, I know that you can be Lord of my life and my lips. Forgive me for my sin. 
make me new. Be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If you just made a decision to follow Christ, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. We need to celebrate this moment, yes.